As we mentioned a moment ago, Scott Bauer joins us now from Prosper Trading Academy. Scott, how have you been? I'm great. How about you, John? Pretty good. You and I have conversations about all sorts of things. I'll ask you about financial stuff today, but just right. for a moment, when's the last time you saw your friends from Russia and Ukraine? Uh, back in December. They were in for uh, actually a charity event for my foundation, and they're coming back in about a month. They've got a, a huge spring tour scheduled with about 40 locations, so they'll be back shortly. Tell people the name of the band. Leonid and Friends. And they are a East European Russian cover band of sorts. They do Earth, Wind and Fire, notably Chicago, and they're pretty fantastic, aren't they? They, they are really fantastic. Yes, their their music is great. They're great musicians, and they are uh, fantastic people. So it's always a pleasure to uh, to see them and listen to them. Leonid and friends. More about that later on. Then talk to me about the markets yesterday and today. What's going on? Yeah, you know, we're, we're going to get the, the latest Fed minutes in about uh, 45 minutes or so. And there's, you know, there's some, I'd say, consternation, some fear out there that um, the discussions that were, you know, held a few weeks back at the last interest rate rise, um, that those discussions are back towards the hawkish side. And when I say hawkish, that means that all the people at the Fed or the majority of them uh, believe that rates are going to happen. We've had that uh, problem here this week, and it always happens when a guest is really making a good point. We're visiting with Scott Bauer, the president and CEO of Prosper Training Academy. Uh, you were talking a little bit about how the market was up one day and down the other. Weren't you referring to the Fed minutes a moment ago, Scott? I, I was, John, and we're going to get those in about 40, 45 minutes. Um, those are the the notes, the, you know, the meeting minutes from their last meeting a few weeks back when they raised rates by a quarter percent. So we'll get an insight into what their discussions were, what their outlooks are. And, you know, things have changed pretty dramatically since their last meeting in terms of uh, many of the economic reports that have come out. You know, we got the that massive jobs report for January, which was you know, blew, blew the doors off of any expectations. We got inflation data, which, albeit, you know, a little bit lower than, than what, they, what it was last time, still significantly high. And we got a really, really strong retail sales number. And that's all since they had this meeting last, you know, just a few weeks ago. So uh, I think that the market's a little bit nervous. The market is, is a little bit back on its heels, although, you know, things are in the green today, um, just that that they're going to hear that they believe rates are going to have to continue moving higher and stay higher for longer. That's the, you know, that's the fear out there. Well, I can't imagine the minutes are going to say something that the number or the chair's presentation didn't already cover, right? Like, there's not going to be any surprises in here, are there? I, I wouldn't think so. And, and the most the, the most hawkish of all the Fed members is, is James Bullard. And he's been in the news pretty much every day, even today. And he has been advocating. And he's not a voting member, by the way. There are voting members and non-voting members. Um, but I can't imagine that we're going to hear anything, anything that is more hawkish than what he has been saying over the last week or two. And and I think the, the market could actually rally off of these comments unless 
the comments come out, as you said, there's something way different than than what we already know or, you know, what we're expecting. Well, the president of the St. Louis branch said something called, he talked about terminal rate. I don't know what that is. What's terminal rate? Right, and that's James Bullard. He, he's the president of the St. Louis Fed. And so the terminal rate is where does the Fed see interest rates topping out? Do they have to get to 5%, 55 55.5%, whatever that may be? That is what their goal is. So the terminal rate is, has actually gone up over the last month. Their, their projection for that you know, peak rate that they were going to have to raise rates to just a few months ago was around 4.8%. And now it's about 5.4 or so, so significantly higher. And if we hear that that terminal rate, meaning the, the end game, if you will, is moving higher, that, that's not going to be good for the market. But I don't think we're going to hear, again, as you said, anything different than what's already out in the news. What would happen if they said zero? What if instead of 25 basis points up, they said zero? What, what would happen then? Well, I, I think we'd see a big market rally, but, but, but I would think that we would also have to question why they're saying zero, because all, you know, all the data that's out there right now, um, they're, they're not pointing to, to stopping those rates, those rate hikes. But if they did, we, we'd see a pretty big rally, because then investors and, and people in the market would feel, okay, We've got this inflation thing under control. We know where that end game is. We're, we're winning now at this point, even though we've taken some pain along the way. Well, I just wonder if people would make that trade. Okay, so this doesn't stem inflation, but wow, look at my 401k. That's, that would be the trade, right? That, that is ultimately what people will look at. That and, you know, how much is it going to cost me to borrow money, right? If that terminal rate goes higher. And if they continue to raise rates, bottom line, what that means is it's going to cost people more for a mortgage. It's going to cost people more for a car loan. So that's the concern is that, well, the wage growth, albeit strong, is not keeping up with these rise in inflation um, interest rates. And so that's the disparity. That's the gap out there. And that would stem spending, and then with fewer dollars chasing however many goods, inflation would go down, the cost of living would go down for everybody. And then that, you can start that, to... That is, that is, yes, that is the thought of how you combat inflation, is to slow down the economy and slow down spending. But, you know, the consumer, even with the rates, the rate hikes that we've seen over the past nine months or, or year or so, the consumer has held remarkably remarkably strong. Um, maybe, you know, they, they've dug into all the savings that they had during COVID and some of the COVID relief programs. Uh, consumer debt is moving higher, which is not a great thing. But as I said earlier, retail sales number, which came out last week, unbelievably strong. The, the, the consumer is still out there shopping. Whether they're moving from higher-end goods, you know, shopping at, let's say, a Nordstrom to now shopping at a TJ Maxx or a Nordstrom Rack, which we're seeing a lot of that, but the consumer is still out there really strong. I wonder if the president should do a sort of a 180 of what George Bush did. George Bush said, everybody go out and buy a washer and dryer. 
um, there's rebates and the government's going to help and so on and so forth. Maybe the president should come out and say, don't anybody buy anything. Nobody buy anything right now. Be terrible for the retailers, but then it would ultimately lower prices, right? Fewer people would be chasing goods, correct? It, it would. I think that would be a pretty drastic measure. <laughs> I'm not. You well, know, I don't see that happening, but you're right. That would that that would you know pretty much tame the demand side of things. Well, that's, and, and that's what we're waiting for. We're waiting for that, and it seems like the Fed really only has about one tool in its box anyway. Um, so uh, we're hoping that the retail. With retail sales as strong as they are, with consumer spending as high as it is, therein lies the problem, right? Yeah, it's, it, it's a vicious circle, if yeah, you will. Yeah. There's a about it. However, I would say that you know, compared to where we were last year when people wanted to spend and there was just no supply of goods, right, because the supply chains were still uh, really backed up and there were all sorts of issues from during the pandemic, those have eased quite a bit. So the disparity between supply and demand is not as bad as it was nine months, 12 months, 18 months ago. But yes, that that is the goal is for the Fed or whomever to get the consumer to stop buying and slow down the economy. Do you think it will be a soft landing, though? The recession won't be too long or severe? I I don't think it will be. I really don't. Uh, I, I firmly believe we're already in a recession. I don't care what the the data, the numbers state as the definition of a recession. I, I think we already are, uh, but we're managing through it. We're living through it. And I don't really see a major, major uh, fall off. Uh, the economy is too strong right now. It, it really is. And if they can get this wage balance, if they can get the employment situation back in line just a little bit, I, I really do think we can get a soft landing. Scott Bowers, the CEO of Prosper Trading Academy. All right, Scott, let's uh, you and I stay in touch on a number of fronts, okay? Thank you, John. Always great to speak with you. You know, during the pandemic, as businesses were trying to lure people back, it seems like they were offering more incentives, more money, better working conditions, hybrid opportunities. And I think the world sort of paused and said, well, they should have been doing this all along. And I think the relationship is similar between tenants and landlords. I think a lot of buildings are right now offering things that maybe some of the tenants are saying, why didn't we have better food here to begin with? Stuff like that. Let's talk a little bit about where we are in that space with Carrie Zerzinski, the senior vice president of the Midwest region at Hiffman National. This is a Chicago-based business that works with commercial property. It's a commercial property management firm. They work with buildings and tenants to try and maximize occupancy. Let's uh, talk a little bit about that comparison first, Carrie. Do you agree with my sort of analysis there? I do, John. You know, I think that there is a lot that we have had to overcome in the last three years and try to find ways to help people feel safe in the buildings, feel comfortable, but then also to have them feel like their time in the commute is being valued and that they're getting to the office and finding good use of their time. And when the pandemic first hit and we then decided we were going to come back in some measure, safety was such a focus. HIPAA filters and air systems and distances and plexiglass. I don't hear us talking about that so much anymore. Is that still a concern? 
It's, it's not. You know, we've done a lot of reducing the distancing signage that was up. We have added new signage when it comes to certifications that were achieved during that time. So, for example, law, health, and safety, um, there are many others as well. But things that we did keep in place were things like the HVAC standards that changed or the cleaning standards that changed because it was just good measure to keep those in place to make sure that the buildings are safe and clean and comfortable for everybody as they come back. So who are your clients, Carrie? What kind of buildings are we talking about? We have a variety of everything from retail, industrial, to office buildings in the suburbs and in other cities around the country. Um, we are in nine states right now where we have people sitting them, and we're in 28 total where we have properties that we manage. And we do everything, as I mentioned, from industrial to medical office to office buildings and retail. As the managers of those properties, what do you control? The heating, the air conditioning, the staff that works the building, that sort of thing? It depends on the property, but yes, in an office building, we would control all of those things. In an industrial building, we would not necessarily, depending on how those leases are written, medical office and retail similarly. So it depends on how those leases are managed and written and who is responsible for what different items within the space. You don't hold the lease on these properties, though, necessarily, right? We do not hold the lease, but we manage the leases for the landlords. So then do the tenants still have to pay? They're obligated whether they're in the building or not, right? Absolutely. And everybody is paying. I would tell you there's a very, you know, back in the beginning when all of this started, there was a lot of requests for COVID relief and things along those lines. That's really been done for a very long time now. People are paying and what they're trying to figure out is how to use their space best. That would motivate me if I was still paying rent for space for employees who don't want to show up to work. Hybrid, schmybrid. But I suppose I ought to now make it as attractive as possible for them. So what are businesses doing? What are you recommending? Well, that's a great question. And so we've been spending a lot of time talking to our tenants and with our landlords that we work for, trying to find the solution that works for everybody. What I would tell you is that all of the things that a landlord could do has been done. All of those amenities, the events, all of those things are wonderful, but that's not going to be enough to get people to come back in. So what we're really hearing from the employees is that they really want to have the same benefits that they had at home. So the flexibility, the ability to grab a snack from somewhere that they want it from, the ability to get up and move to a different area. So we're seeing things like more soft seating for collaborative conversations and more innovative discussions. We're seeing clients put in different food sections throughout the space that has coffee and snacks and different water options, for example, so that they don't have to go to a vending machine or to the cafe, but it's right there within the floor so they can grab it quickly and go back to their desk. So they're really looking for ways, and we're making recommendations, to kind of create that home environment in the office where they have that ability to kind of grab everything they need, everything's in one place, and make it a little bit more convenient, but still allow for that collaboration together. Well, are the tenants doing this for their staff on a particular floor in a building, or is the building doing that for everybody? So the staff, the, the, the tenants are having to do that within their own space. We are, as a landlord, making recommendations for spaces that they can use within the building as well, but we're seeing the most value from the spaces within. So if a ah. tenant is going to offer those snacks, for example, for free to their employees, that's a big draw. If they can add more soft seating within their space instead of just having cubicles where they can sit down and have those meetings or breakout rooms where they can sit down together, that's what people really want to be coming in for is that chance to be with their team and to really spend that time, again, being collaborative and innovative. So what's the snack area like these days? Well, you know, it's funny. I think it really depends on the people you're selling it to, right? So I have some clients who it's mostly, you know, healthy snacks and things like granola bars and, you know, pretzels and 
things along those lines. And then I have others who it's candy bars and gummy bears. It really just depends on your employees. And, and I personally like a mix of both. Are they offering this as no cost to the employees? They are. And we're also seeing some of our tenants actually give our employee or their employees gift cards to the local cafe so that they're not having to pay for lunch and having that be an incentive. There are all kinds of different things that they're doing to try and help their employees to come back and have it be a pleasant experience and something they want to be part of. So this is an expense that they're shouldering just to get people to do what they were doing at no cost before the pandemic. How does everybody feel about that on both sides of the equation? You know, that's a really interesting question. It's a tough topic. You'll hear people say, hey, just like you said, we're paying for the rent. We want you in your seats and you need to be in the office. But there is a desire for retention and retention requires a little bit more creative thinking. And so there is, you know, the hybrid options. There's the ways to find ways to have people come back in and feel like they're getting something extra by coming in. Pre-COVID, that was not something we had to think about and something we had to talk about. People were in the office, but what we found in that time was with technology and how it's changed so quickly that really a lot of jobs can be done from anywhere. But the piece that I stick with when I'm talking to our landlords or I'm talking about this in, in group settings is that that desire to be together, that opportunity to learn and grow from each other doesn't work quite the same when you're sitting at home. So you really want to make sure that that time that they're spending in the office, they walk away from it feeling like it's really valuable use of their time. The snacks are great. The areas are great. But really, it's about the time that they're spending and how they're using it. Does this happen? So they say, OK, we're going to put up a gym and eight treadmills and give everybody an opportunity to work out before, or after, during work. And nobody uses it. And they go, why did we dedicate this space and expense to something that on paper looked good? But actually, people just want to work and have a snack. And we're providing amenities that really aren't necessary. Yeah, you know, so the amenities are, are something that at Hiffen National we've really looked at with our clients and talked about. You know, most of our buildings had them going in, and so they're a great thing to have. It definitely helps with leasing, and it's a great benefit for an employee who does want to take that break and go walk on that treadmill. Is every employee using it? No. Is it the draw to be back in the office every single day? No. But is it a great thing to have in an option and another kind of box to check when you're talking to your employees about the things you're doing to make sure that they're having yeah. that right work-life balance? It definitely helps. You know what surprised me that gets used a lot in our building now since the pandemic and people are coming back in is they've reconfigured the lobby area on the main floor and where they have a a podium desk area where people can greet you and packages are delivered. They have now a coffee bar and they've turned it into an alcohol bar at four o'clock. And son of a gun, people convene there, have wine, meet clients, colleagues go down there and have a $5 glass of wine or a $10 cocktail. That was never part of this building before the pandemic. It's being used now. Yeah, absolutely. We're definitely seeing spaces being used differently. I have clients who are telling me that they're going to start offering their conference centers out to the public, not just to the tenants within the building. Mm. There's a lot of creativity in how to reuse existing spaces to make sure that we're getting the most use out of those spaces we possibly can. So how can you do all of this? Carrie Zarzinski seems to know, Senior Vice President of the Midwest Region at Hiffman National. Hiffman, H-I-F-F-M-A-N.com is the website. Nice to talk to you, Carrie. Thanks for your thoughts today. Great talking to you too, John. Have a great day. Let's get you more business news with Steve Grzanich. Start your timer. It's time for the Wintrust Business Minute, sharing Chicago's business news of the day. Amazon has completed its purchase of one medical, and it could impact some operations in Illinois. 
One Medical is a primary care provider, and the sale price is nearly $4 billion. The deal moves Amazon deeper into the healthcare industry and gives the company a network of primary care doctors. One Medical has eight offices in the Chicago area on the north side of Chicago in Deerfield, Skokie, and Oakbrook. Amazon also operates Amazon Pharmacy and Amazon Clinic, a referral service that links patients with doctors for text chat consultations. Weber is a private company again. BDT Capital Partners closed on its deal with the grill maker and is now a daunting task of turning around the Palatine-based company. Weber's net sales dropped 42% in the quarter that ended December 31st. It reported a net loss of $195 million for all of fiscal 2022. According to Cranes, BDT is on a rescue mission and has agreed to lend Weber more than $350 million to get the company through the rest of this year. The company's been cutting jobs, but BDT isn't commenting on its plans to turn Weber around. I'm Steve Grithanich, and that's your Wintrust Business Minute. Okay, business of food time with Steve Alexander. Yep, and we're talking again today about a Chicago food hero, Gertrude Snodgrass. After I thank the Chevy Silverado HD for sponsoring us, experience your life in HD, visit ChevyDriveChicago.com. Picking up where we left off yesterday, Gertrude Snodgrass, who passed away in 1989, was one of the co-founders of the Greater Chicago Food Depository. This is a person who had an outsized impact in her years in this city. That's Greg Trotter, a former reporter for the Tribune, who shifted over to the nonprofit sector, first at the Food Depository and now at Nourishing Hope, the former Lakeview Pantry. He says had it not been for Gertrude and her connections with black pastors, the depository may not have been created. It was a completely new model, and so she helped get, you know, the church leaders in the black and Latino communities on board, which was huge. And she also fed thousands of Chicagoans from a food pantry she ran out of her Garfield Park home, a two-flat just off the Ike. You know, she had six stoves, and she was cooking food and canning them on the stoves. And Trotter's research found many descriptions of not only her love and compassion for people in need, <laughs> she called everyone honey, but she also had no time for nonsense. The people that I talked to that I was able to track down who knew her described her as just this kind of force to be reckoned with. She just believed in getting things done and helping people. She wasn't the kind of person to be in a boardroom talking about it. She was going to do the work. Chicago legend Gertrude Snodgrass is gone, but as Trotter wrote, the injustice of food insecurity persists. And her legacy, like, really lives on in a remarkable way through the network of food pantries and soup kitchens and shelters throughout the city today. And not to belabor this, but it really seems we ought to remember her in some formal way. Some sort of a memorial somewhere in Chicago. But maybe as we learn the kind of person she was. One of the best quotes that I came across was, I don't consider it a job, but I consider it a mission to do this type of work, and I am dedicated to it for life. It's so beautiful. You want to go on and on doing it. Perhaps a better way to remember her would be to help your local food pantry. You can find the one closest to you and, and help out in some way. It's so it's so needed right now. That's the business of food and good on 720 WGN. What a nice job the Choose Chicago folks have done in putting out their 2023 Tourism Visitor's Guide. Jason Lesnevich is the director of cultural tourism there, and he's back on WGN. Nice job, Jason. It looks terrific. Thank you, John. Uh, thanks for having me today. Of course, it's kind of easy to do when you have a city that is as spectacular as Chicago. I mean, the river, the lights, the the sky deck, the Buckingham Fountain. you got a lot to work with there, don't you? Yeah, it's it's an opportunity for us to showcase everything that the city has to offer. 
um, across our neighborhoods, our iconic attractions downtown and museums. Since it's a long-form guide, I think it's about 68 pages, it really gets us into content where we can cover the entire city across um, various articles. So very proud of it. Great resource for visitors and residents that want to discover maybe something new about their city. I'm resident. I'm downtown every day. We champion this city, my wife and I, but uh, yet I find that sometimes I get a little lazy and I don't go to the science and industry or the field museum. This really sort of um, gets you thinking, oh, I got to do that. Oh, I got to do that. How do you recommend people use this guy, Jason? Well, it, you know, everyone's into kind of their own interests. So we do try to cover, you know, everything from culinary to if you're into family, if you want to do a family trip, we have a fam- family-friendly article. We have a great new article written by um, Sherman Dilla Thomas, Chicago's urban historian, and, um, you know, some of his favorite spots. And those are really some of the great off-the-beaten-paths. So if you really know Chicago you might want to check out our neighborhood article where we get more in-depth into certain neighborhoods and what you should be doing there. So it, it has a lot of great content for that first-time visitor, but then we, we try to go in-depth and really expand people's um, ideas on what you can do here in the city. So a little bit of something for everyone, and, and it's a quick flip-through for sure. Della Thomas on TikTok has become a... Chicago treasure and really a national spokesperson for tourism in the city. I love that on page six, you've dedicated space to him and some of his favorite haunts. What are some gems? What are some surprises maybe that people might not have expected? Yeah, I think, you know, he really talks about some of the the neighborhoods um, for history buffs. You know, I think people really know Hyde Park and Bronzeville, but he he talks a little bit about North Lawndale, a really up-and-coming neighborhood that has great history. talks about some of his favorite music places, and of course, Buddy Guys is in there, but he talks about Reggie's and the Metro, and, and the Metro is pretty well known, but um, you know, he, he tries to go a little bit more in-depth, some of his food spots, um, he even mentions the Union Stockyard Gate, which of course, many Chicagoans probably don't know what, it, what that is, so... He really has a range of what he liked to talk about. And yes, uh, great to work with, great represent, uh, great representative of the city. What I like, too, is you can plan your, you know, you're not, you, you have no excuse for letting um, Lollapalooza sneak up on you this year or Pride or the Air and Water Show because it's all listed here when and where it happens. So if you're thinking, oh, when am I going to schedule my vacation or how can we plan when my cousin comes into town? This is a great way to do that, too, isn't it? Yeah, we look at the city. The guide is an annual guide, so we do try to cover everything from when it comes out in February through the holidays and even into winter. So we have holiday content in there, winter content, our uh, top look at our festivals from every season. So we do try to really encourage people to, no matter when you're planning a trip to Chicago, it's a great resource. It has content that will cover the entire year. You want to know where to eat in Chicago? They've got a dining guide. You want to know things to do? They've got the things to do guide, broken down by sports and arts and culture, transportation. How do you do the L? It's all in this handy guide. How do I get it? I I recommend you print it out, you know, spend the toner, but you can just look at it online if nothing else. How do we do that? Yeah, go to our website, choosechicago.com. 
you'll see a, a, a tab that says plan your trip and you're going to find our visitor guide. You can download it. As you mentioned, John, you can print it. You can order a free copy. Um, that's always an option. We will send you a free copy if Ooh. you like the physical guide or, or yes, just view it online. Um, all different ways you can interact with the guide. Visit Choose Chicago, and I say choose that guide that they'll deliver to you because this is a really nice piece. Okay, Jason Lesnevich, the Director of Cultural Tourism there. Nice to talk to you, Jason. Thanks for your time. Thank you. ChooseChicago.com.